out the corner of my eye, I saw a pretty little thing approaching me. She said, I never seen a man who looks so all alone. Or could you use a little company? If you pay the right price, your evening will be nice and juicy. Go and welcome to hour two of the Tuesday crew. I'm Jared Bladice alongside Dylan Allen, filling in for the rest of the crew as they had to go to a WRSU meeting to discuss the future of RSU. So Dylan, it's just me and you for the second hour, and I guess we'll get into some March Madness, some bracketology, some thoughts for the game. How does that sound? That sounds good to me, Jared. All right, I guess you want to start. We could just pick some, pick some winners for the Sweet 16 games. Yeah, sounds good. Um, we'll start in the West with Gonzaga versus Creighton. Uh, I have Gonzaga here. I think they're just the best team remaining in the tournament. They've been playing great basketball the first two rounds. Um, you know, I don't expect Creighton to be able to hang with them for too long. So I'm going to go with Gonzaga here. Yeah, listen, I'm with you on that too. I feel like most of the March Madness fans will be picking Gonzaga. I mean, they've got Corey Kispert, Jalen Suggs, Drew Timmy. I mean, it is just... It's probably the most balanced team in college basketball and probably the favorite to win the whole thing. I personally think they'll win the whole thing, and tons of other fans do as well. So I think Crane will hang with them for a little bit. Crane is a solid team. They're a solid five seed. I think they could have even been seeded higher, but I do think that Crane won't be able to hang the whole way, and eventually Gonzaga will just pull away. Yeah, um, definitely agree with you there. Um, The next matchup in the West is... USC versus Oregon. Um, this one's this one's tough for me because both teams have had played great games the previous round. USC beat Kansas by 34 points, 84 or excuse me, 85 to 51, um, and Oregon was able to beat the two-seeded Iowa Hawkeyes, 95 to 80. Um, you know, I'm gonna have to go with Oregon here though. They have only played one game. They, the first round, they won by default because of VCU with positive um, tests for COVID. Um, they were disqualified from the tournament. So Oregon has a bit, bit, bit of an advantage here, only playing one game. So they have, they're not as tired as USC would be. Um, and I like how Oregon really played against Iowa. They were just able to really score the basketball. Um, I'm going to go with Oregon here. Yeah, Dylan, I like their call. I do think this game can go either way, but since you just talked about Oregon, I guess I could talk a little bit about USC. I mean, USC, I guess you could just say they dismantled Kansas. I mean, they USC looked like they were by far the better team, even though Kansas was a higher seed. And USC, listen, USC has some good players. They've got, they've got um, both, they've got Evan Mobley, who's 10 points, 13 rebounds, top prospect for the NBA. One guy who's projected to go top 10 overall. So I definitely think he will be a huge factor in the upcoming game. But along with what you said with Oregon, Oregon beat a very, very good Iowa team. I mean, us as Big Ten fans know Iowa, Iowa's got some ballers, and we know they can play. But Oregon definitely looked like the better team. But I do think that USC does have a little more talent, even though they are a lower seed. So personally, I think USC will win this game. It will probably be an offensive shootout. But I definitely think that USC will come away with a close win. But listen, if Oregon wins, I won't be surprised. Yeah, and I think USC also, um, forget the player's name. You mentioned him, Mo- Mosley. Is that Ev- what you said? Evan his name Mobley. Was? Yeah, Mobley. he's a top 10 prospect. Evan Mobley. 
yeah, he apparently he's up for um he's a finalist for defensive player of the year as well. Mm-hmm. So that's something else I think, you know. I agree with you there that this game is just a pick 'em. It's pretty much 50-50 for uh-huh. me. Yeah. So that might be an X factor if you're looking at this game to pick who you think's going to win. Um, you know, to have a guy like that that can defend the ball pretty well. I mean, these teams are are, are Pac-12 opponents. They've played each other before, so these teams know, you know, these these teams know each other pretty well. Um, you know, on the year, they um they were supposed to play twice and the first meeting was postponed, I assume, due to COVID-related issues. Um, and then the second time they faced, USC beat Oregon 72-58. to 58. Um, So, you know, maybe maybe if you look at it, USC being able to beat them in the regular season, you might look at that. But I'm just going to go off of Oregon's previous, previous um, performance and just the fact that they've only played one game. They probably have a little bit more energy. Um, so that's that's why I'm going with them there moving on to the southern region you have the number one seeded baylor bears versus the five seed villanova wildcats um you know in the first round for this i picked winthrop over villanova uh in some brackets and in others i picked villanova and i picked winthrop because you know colin galepsi for villanova isn't playing he's their best player averaging 14 points a game um and I thought that would be a big a big thing for Villanova to overcome, but they were able to beat Winthrop and then defeat North Texas in the round of 32, and now have to face one of the best teams in the bracket in Baylor. Um, you know, I think it's going to be. I think this is where their road stops, and they finally kind of hit that bump where, you know, if they had Colin Gillespie, this game could be closer. But I think Baylor's just too much to handle here. Um, I think Baylor's just one, just an overall better team, and for. Villanova did not have Colin Gillespie in there. That's a that's a big big loss for them. So I think th- this is where Villanova ends their run. Yeah, listen, I'm with you on that. I mean, I was one of those people who was convinced that Winthrop was going to upset Villanova. I mean, it seems like it was a classic 12-5 game where everyone took the 12 seed because based on previous March Madness, the 12 seed normally wins. So I really thought this was the one because Colin Gillespie was out. I really thought Villanova would struggle, but they played well. And then granted, in the second round, they got lucky. They played North Texas, who, I, in my opinion, had a fluke win against Purdue. Purdue had a bad game, and North Texas played the best possible they could. And when North Texas played back on their level against Villanova, they didn't stand a chance, which is why Villanova won by, like, 23 points. But now Villanova playing Baylor. I mean, listen, Baylor's got Davion Mitchell, who's a finalist for the Defensive Player of the Year. They've got Jared Butler, who's one of the best scorers in college. I mean, listen— Baylor is really good. I mean, even some professional athletes, professional NBA players were tweeting about it this week because the Baylor team's got a player named D. Mitchell, number 45, same as Donovan Mitchell in the NBA. And all these professional NBA players were watching this game and being like, wait, that's not Donovan Mitchell. That's a guy in college, but he's been playing out of his mind. I mean, the talent on Baylor is it's up there with Gonzaga. People have them as the best two in the nation. I agree those are the best two in the nation. So I just, I do think this is going to be a, Baylor is going to destroy Villanova. Villanova will probably hang, like we've been seeing in other games where teams are unmatched, one of the teams will hang around for like the first half, first 15 minutes, but then the better team pulls away. And I think Baylor will pull away this game, probably win by at least 15 just because they are a far more talented team than Villanova. But listen, like you said, if Gillespie was there, if Gillespie was there, might be a different story, but obviously he's not there. So I'm going to have to go with, with Baylor in a big win. Yeah, and for the other Sweet 16 matchup in the 
Southern Region. It's the number three Arkansas Razorbacks versus 15 Oral Roberts. And, you know, Jared, they had a great, great run, this Oral Roberts team. They were able to shoot the heck out of the ball. Um, you know, they have behind guys like Ab- Abums, I think's his name. Um, he's just uh, his Abmas. I don't know how to pronounce uh, his name. I Max Abmas. Max as Asmus or something. Asmus. Okay, so yeah. So he's yeah he's averaging twenty four and a half on the year, um and he's just he's shooting forty three percent from downtown ninety percent from the line, uh, this guy is having an amazing run, um but I think one of the big things to look at in their win over Florida in the previous round they won by three points and Florida turned the ball over twenty times, um I don't think you'll be seeing that too much from a team like Arkansas I don't think they're gonna be turning the ball over twenty times, um. You know, and for a team to only win by three, uh, and the other team to turn it over twenty times, it, it kind of just tells me that you know, if Arkansas doesn't turn it over that many times, which I don't think they will, I think Arkansas is just the better team here, um, and I think this is also where Oral Roberts' run ends in the Sweet Sixteen. So I'm going to go with Arkansas here as well. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree with you. I mean, listen, we all want Oral Roberts to win. I do think Oral Roberts has a talent, O'Banner and Acemas. They will hang around. I do not see this being a blowout. I mean, Oral Roberts has hung around. Granted, like you said, the turnovers by Florida, they kind of gifted them the game. But they hung around the Ohio State game. They won by a decent – they won by they won by three points. So three again, in overtime. Yeah, they were yeah. – they, they, they hung around, which I do think they'll hang around again. But listen, like – you can only get lucky so many times, and I think that the Cinderella story, the luck will run out against Arkansas. Arkansas is a very, very good team, but listen, like a a team this low is obviously worse. And listen, you're, the chances of them beating a two three, a two seed, and a three seed in the same tournament is like, I mean, that doesn't happen. I mean, the last fifteen seed to make it this far was Florida Gulf Coast in two thousand and thirteen, I believe, and. Or 2015, one of those two, and they got knocked out in the Sweet 16 just because eventually these, eventually the talent is the better talent is going to take over. Arkansas has the better talent. Arkansas will win, but Oral Roberts will hang around for the entire game. Yeah, and Arkansas on the year, um, they're one and one against Alabama, and they're viewed as one of one of the best teams in the tournament as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and another thing to look at too. That Ohio State game, they had, I think, 15 or 16 turnovers, the Buckeyes. So, you know, both games that the Golden Eagles uh, of Oral Roberts have won, there have been double-digit turnovers, 15 and 20, in both of those games, and they've only won by three. So, yeah. And it, it took magnificent shooting from their two best players, you know, putting up 20, 30, 25, 30 points in each game. Mm-hmm. Um, at some point, you know, that kind of that run has to end, and I agree with you there, I think. Just the better team in Arkansas prevails here, um, but nonetheless, great run by Oral Roberts Definitely. in my opinion. And honestly, I might take the spread in their favor. I think it's minus eleven. Arkansas mm-hmm. might take Oral Roberts to cover that, um, but I don't think they'll be able to pull off the win. In the Midwest region, Loyola Chicago faces off against the 12 seed Oregon State. Loyola Chicago is an eight seed. They defeated. What many people, including me, had as the national champion this year in Illinois, 71-58. to 58. Um, You know, Oregon State is also viewed as a team that wasn't supposed to be a very good team coming into the year. And quite frankly, the only reason why they're in this tournament is because they were able to win the Pac-12 tournament. Um, and they were able to get a 12 seed, but they did beat Tennessee in the first round. 
by 14, and then they were able to beat Oklahoma State in the second round by 10, 80 to 70. But I think from what I saw from Loyola Chicago last week, um, not last week, excuse me, this past couple a uh, couple days ago where they played Illinois, um, you know, I I just I. You know, I'm I, I'm like a lot of people. We don't really watch this team, but watching them against Illinois really showed me that they they can hang tough with a lot of teams. And I don't think Oregon State uh, is up on Illinois' level, so I uh, I think I got to go with Loyola here. And you know, the center Crutwig, he had an amazing game: 19 points, 12 rebounds, um, five assists, four steals. I mean, if you can do that against Kofi Coburn, I think that there you know, there's not that many other centers out there that can. You know that that could really hang with this guy Crotwig, so I'm gonna go with Loyola here. Yeah, I'm gonna have to again agree with you here. Listen, props to Oregon State. I mean, beating Oklahoma State, Cade Cunningham, the best player in college. I don't. He'll be going first overall in the NBA draft, most likely. I mean, Oregon State. Listen, you're like you said it. They were projected to be the worst team in the Pac-12 in the preseason rankings. Ended up winning the whole thing. Got a crazy bid to the tournament and are making a run. But listen. The way Loyola-Chicago played against Illinois, I mean, I didn't have Illinois winning the whole thing. I had them losing to Gonzaga in the finals, but still, that's going super far. I just think that the way Loyola-Chicago played and the way that Cameron Crutwig played and just how they're coached by Porter by Porter Moser, I mean, this team is... I think they were seeded too low. This team is clearly not an 8 seed. They should have been seeded higher. We saw this like two, tor- two three tournaments ago where they made the crazy run to the Final Four, but... This team that they made to the Final Four with was a Cinderella team. The team they have now is a legit team. I mean, they are really good. I, I personally think they're going to come out of the Midwest. If, listen, if Syracuse, like the Syracuse-Houston game we'll get into in a second, but I do think that Loyola-Chicago has the talent to make it to the Final Four out of the Midwest teams. Just looking at the other game, the Syracuse-Houston game, I do think Syracuse is going to win this game, but Houston barely barely scraped by Rutgers. Shouldn't even won except that the Ruck, about the Rutgers collapse. But Syracuse is an incredible shooting team. I mean, Buddy Beheim and Joe Girard are both two knockdown shooters. Buddy, I think Buddy's going to go to the NBA in like a Duncan Robinson type role. He's that good of a shooter. But whichever team Loyola Chicago ends up playing, I just think that they are a really, really well-coached team. They have talent. They play incredibly well together. I would just wouldn't be shocked if Loyola Chicago makes a run to the Final Four, but when they get to the Final Four, they'll probably have to pay, play Baylor, so their run will probably end there. But still, like if Loyola Chicago makes it to another Final Four, I mean this team deserves some more respect. I mean they are they're they're a legitimately good college basketball team with a top college basketball coach, and I listen eight seed was too low for them, but I see them going to the Final Four. I mean I just think they're that good. Yeah, and I mean, I think you're right by saying they were seeded way too low at, at an eight seed. Um, you know, during the season, their last game of the year where they played Drake in their in their conference tournament final uh, that they ended up winning, they were ranked 20 in the AP poll. Um, so, you know, there's there's four there's four eight seeds out there and four sevens, and it keeps going on and on. And you know, that's way past top 20 um, in terms of where they were seeded in March Madness. So, I think you're right on the money there in terms of them being seated way too high uh, at, at eight. And I think just the fact that they were in the AP poll pretty much the whole second half of the year, it, it just shows you that they were a great basketball team uh, and they're going to continue that against Oregon state. 
Um, and I agree with you about the next matchup, Syracuse versus Houston. I'm gonna have to go with Syracuse Orange here. I'm riding with their, um, with their little run here. They defeated the sixteenth San Diego State in the first round, 78-62. Uh, and then in the the second round against the three seeded West Virginia Mountaineers, they beat them 75 to 72, which was a nail biter right down to the end. Uh, and as you pointed out, you know Houston, they they barely got past Rutgers, which in my opinion, well everyone. Um, everyone thinks this Rutgers really had that game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, yeah. they they had it, and they just they they managed to find a way to uh, just just lose their grasp of it, and it and it sucks. But nonetheless, you know Houston barely got past Rutgers, and you know with with their one player being hurt in um Jaro yeah. or um what's his name Jaro yeah something like that Jean Jaro. Yeah. I mean he was pretty much hurt that whole game. And props to him for coming back in that game multiple times, because um, you saw he was, you know, on the ground hurt, and he would come onto the bench, and then he would come back in. So props to him, and he was still able to drop seventy or six, 17 points, um, and have a big impact on, on Houston in that game. But I think, you know, that might be a factor in this next game against Syracuse. And I think, I think you're right, Buddy Beheim shooting is just, just electric right now. I think they have a very good chance to win, and I'm going to pick them to win this game. Yeah, I, listen, Syracuse shot 14 of 31, 45% from three. I mean, that doesn't, like, in college, they don't shoot that high. Those are, like, NBA shooting levels. Like, for the fact that a college team was shooting that well, I just feel like, I feel like you just got to ride them until until they prove that the shooting isn't sustainable, which right now they've proved they can shoot sustainably. They can shoot over 40%. And in college, if you shoot over 40% from three, you play good defense, there's a very, very good chance you'll win. And like we like we were both saying, the Houston barely winning. Like, listen, Jarrell will be be healthy. Hopefully, he's got a week to rest up. But if Syracuse shoots that well, it's gonna be super hard to beat them. So I personally think they're gonna win. And listen, the game that Syrac- Syracuse will keep riding this shooting streak until it doesn't happen. And if Syracuse goes goes cold shooting, whether it's this game or if it's the next game, they will lose if they st- if they go cold shooting because they're one of the few teams where. They rely on the outside shot. I mean, Buddy Beheim scoring 25 points on, like, basically threes. So they're living and dying by the three, but they can ride it They can ride it as far as they can, but I don't think it's going to take them. They might take them past this game, but I don't know if it's going to take them all the way. Yeah, I mean, they took, in the last game against West Virginia, Syracuse, they took 31 three-pointers as a team, making 14 of them. That's 45% as a team, mm-hmm. um, and Buddy Beheim. You know, he shot 8 of 17 overall. 13 of those shots were from downtown, made 6 of them. So, you know, right on that 50% above uh, or below, excuse me, margin there. So uh, I think you have a point there. If if those shots aren't sinking for them, um, they could they could run into some issues. But the good thing for Syracuse here is that they are known for having a good zone defense. Mm-hmm. Um, so even if the shots aren't falling, um, I, th- I still think they have the defense to keep it close uh, yeah. and to resort to some two-point shots there um but quentin grimes is going to be an issue for syracuse um you know even with Rutgers, they played a great defensive game against houston and you know they still allowed him to to score 18 points which was the game leading scorer um so or excuse me 22 points so with nine rebounds so even though you know houston only scored 63 points which is to leave like 12 under their seasonal average um it's going to be tough for any defensive team to hold quentin grimes you know, to a to a low number in terms of scoring. So, 
But I, I do think Buddy Van Ham shooting will take them over the top, so I think that's why I think that's the X factor for me. Going into the eastern side of the region here, uh, number one Michigan versus number four Florida State. Um, you know Michigan's been good all year, uh, but in my bracket, I I have I have Florida State winning this game, and it it's be, it's just because I think. I just like how Florida State has played defense this year. They they're a very good defensive team, and you know I mean the the the, the two games in the tournament they've played they've given up 54 points um, to North Carolina, Greensboro, and then the next round 53 points to Colorado. So they're a team that's averaging 78 points scoring, and they give up around 53 and a half. Um, Michigan scores 77 points, giving up 72. So that margin right there in between points scored and points scored is the big X factor for me. Um, and FSU is still able to shoot 48% as a team, which is right around where Michigan is. Um, they both average 37 rebounds, and they're both around the 15 assist mark. So I think Florida State's defensive impact is going to be the X factor here, and that's why I picked the Seminoles. Yeah, I'm going to have to... I'm going to have to second that. I do think that Michigan is a very, very good offensive team. I mean, they scored 86 points on LSU. That game wasn't really much of a defensive battle. I mean, Thomas and Smart on LSU combined for like 60 points. And Brooks, Wagner, and Dickinson scored like 60 on Michigan as well. So they were just, it was an offensive battle. But I think FSU is going to come in with some very strong defense. And they will limit Michigan. But listen, I do think this will be a close game. I think it's going to be a really good matchup. In this part of the bracket, I honestly had Texas going all the way. I thought Texas head coach Shaka Smart's, in my opinion, one of the top coaches in college, and I thought he would bring Texas all the way. And I did have Texas playing Michigan in the Elite Eight, but the way FSU's been playing, I honestly think that they are the favorites to make it to the Final Four. I think their defense is just top in the nation, and I would not be shocked if they take down the one-seed Michigan because... Listen, like you said, they're a strong defensive team. And listen, like we know in sports, we know in basketball, defense wins championships. So if FSU comes out with some strong defense, I would not be shocked if number one Michigan falls. Yeah, uh, I also, I too had uh, Texas in the Elite Eight against Florida State. Uh, But we all know what happened there with Abilene Christian. Um, Going on to the second matchup in the Eastern region is... The 11-seed UCLA Bruins versus the two-seeded Alabama Crimson Tide. Um, you know, I'm a big fan of this UCLA run that they've been on. Uh, to their credit, they beat the six-seed BYU by 11 points, and then they played Abilene Christian and beat them by 20, 67 to 47. But I don't think that those are big enough opponents for me to sell sell me that I think that they can beat Alabama uh, and the the great season that they've had this year. Um, you know, they have the SEC player of the year and the SEC coach of the year. Uh, I think that's just too much for UCLA to handle. And I think this is where their run ends as, as good as it was. And I think Alabama moves on. Yeah. UCLA, like you were saying, they beat, who they beat in the first round? My bad. They beat... Oh, BYU. Yeah, they beat 60 to BYU. But don't forget, UCLA also was a playing game. They beat Michigan State. So UCLA, that Michigan State was a solid team. They took down good teams during the year. But BYU was an okay team. UCLA won. And then, listen, I think UCLA got a blessing playing Abilene Christian. I mean, 
Abilene Christian should have never been in Texas. Yeah. They just played. The, Abilene Christian played the best that that program has probably played ever, and that's why they won. And then UCLA, listen, UCLA was a better team. I mean, their best player, Johnny Juzang, is a legit offensive talent. He's projected to go in a lot of NBA mock drafts. He's a very, very good player. But I just think they got a blessing playing Abilene Christian in the second round, and they destroyed them by, like, 20 points. But they're going to play a legit team in Alabama. They dropped 96 points on Maryland. Granted, listen, Maryland's not an amazing team, but they're still a solid team, and Alabama just dismantled them. So I would not be surprised if Alabama gets a Big win here against UCLA because personally, I'm sure most people agree this should have been the this should have been Alabama versus Texas game would have been a great two v three game, two of the top programs in the nation would have been an awesome game. But listen, like like I said before, Abilene Christian played their hearts out. Props to them, but UCLA got a UCLA got a free ticket to the Sweet Sixteen, and that this there's this is their stop. I mean, Alabama's gonna win UCLA great run, but it ends here. Yeah, and, and another thing to look at too that I'm, now that I'm looking, um, Alabama when they played Maryland in the round of 32, they shot 53% as a team, and they shot 45 or excuse me 48.5% as a team from downtown, shooting 33 of them, and shot 100% from the free throw line, 10 of 10. Um, this team and they scored 96 points in that game, uh, and as Rutgers fans, we know we know how good of a team Maryland played towards the tail end of the year. So, you know, being able to beat them 96 to 77 also just tells me that they can score the basketball, you know, when the defense really isn't there on any given night. And so then that's just another thing that I weigh into this determination that Alabama will beat UCLA. Um, and I, I, I think, you know, I think Gonzaga is going to win this whole thing. I did, like I said, I did have Illinois winning in one of my brackets, but I, I also had Gonzaga and other ones. It was between the two for me. And I think, I think most people had Illinois and Gonzaga in the national championship too. Um, but now since Illinois isn't in, I think I think it's going to be Gonzaga versus possibly Baylor in the championship now. I mean, is that what you're thinking too? I, I mean, I'm trying to think ahead and kind of see how these matchups look. Yeah. And I'm, I'm coming out with Baylor as the one coming out on um, – the other side yeah listen just quickly backtracking Alabama is a legit offensive team so like you said I think that they if they shoot that well they can go far but going on what you just said I think before we go to a quick break here I guess well let's just do some final foreign championship predictions so at first I had Gonzaga Texas Baylor and Illinois in the final four and I think I don't know if you agree but I think Gonzaga Baylor and Illinois were just I feel like so many so many people had those in their final four I mean I feel like Michigan was a slight tier below those one seeds because I just think those three are the best three teams in the nation. I think everyone knows it. Yeah, I mean, I have seen people have like Ohio State in there, teams like Purdue. Mm -hmm. um, but I think for the majority of my brackets, personally, I had Gonzaga, Baylor, Illinois in there. Mm -hmm. And then my one wild card team, if you will, that wasn't a one seed. I had Florida State in there instead of Texas. I had Florida State beating Texas in the Elite Eight to get to the Final Four. Um you know, and so looking at the matchups now, you know, I, I have Gonzaga versus Oregon. That's who I have winning. You said you have USC, or did you say you had Oregon winning that? I that think I think it's gonna be USC, but like we like we were talking about, I think that's a fifty fifty game. I really think it can go either way. But, okay. but I think I think regardless who wins that game, I think Gonzaga's beating them no matter what. So yeah, 
I was I was just gonna say the yeah. same thing. I think Gonzaga wins regardless. Um, who wins that USC Oregon game? So then looking then at the at the Baylor Villanova game, we both had Baylor there, and we both had Arkansas over Oral Roberts. So I, I think I'm gonna take Baylor here over Arkansas. I think they're just the better team. Um, you know that's what I had in my bracket. I had them going in there, but I didn't have them beating Arkansas. I had them beating Texas Tech originally. Um, a little devastated on how they lost that game against Arkansas and that missed layup, uh-huh. uh, but I'm over it now, and uh, I, I'm still gonna take Baylor here. Yeah, I had I actually had Baylor playing Ohio State, and we know how that ended. But I do think <laughs> I do think I thought Baylor was gonna come out of the South, and I thought Illinois was gonna come out of the West, the Midwest, excuse me, and then Illinois was gonna move to the finals against Gonzaga. But now I think it's gonna be. I still think ba- I think Baylor is going to come out of that side of the bracket and play Gonzaga in the Final Four, but now I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be Baylor versus I think Loyola Chicago. I really do. I think, I just think they're destined for another Final Four run. And listen, the Syracuse team it could give them trouble. The Houston team, I mean, I don't really know how to evaluate the Houston team. I, I like I really don't. I thought they were a very very good team. I actually had Illinois playing Houston in the Elite Eight for this part of the bracket, but. After their showing against Rutgers, I mean, I just don't... Listen, Houston's still a two-seed, and there was a reason they were a two-seed, but I just don't know how to evaluate them at this point. So I'm just going to send Loyola Chicago to the Final Four. I mean, all the fans want to see it. So I'll just say it's going to be Gonzaga, I guess, beating, like you said, maybe FSU, honestly. So Gonzaga versus Florida State. Gonzaga winning, going to the final. And then I guess Baylor over Loyola Chicago. And then Gonzaga versus Baylor in the final. And... I think that would be an incredible matchup, but I think that this is just Gonzaga and head coach Mark Fusier. I mean, he's been building this program for years, and I think it is finally time for Gonzaga to win the championship. I really do. I think they're the best team in college. They have legit NBA talent, and I would not be surprised if they won the whole thing. Yeah, I mean, the way that this bracket has kind of developed with all these early upsets, it's kind of like they've already... It's already pave the way for them to just get into that championship game uh, and, and to win it. I, I, you know, like I, I said before, I had either them or Illinois. I didn't have Baylor in any other brackets. So I think if, you know, I think if now with Illinois out of the picture, I think Gonzaga for me is, is the, is the clear winner. Um, although I think Baylor will give them, you know, a hell of a run, but I think Gonzaga comes out on top. They just have, they just have better scorers, just better defenders. I just think that they're just all around better. So. I think it'll be definitely a close game, though. Yeah, but it, it will be. I still have be a Gonzaga coming that'll out on a, top. That'll be a fun game to watch. I mean, like you said, like Gonzaga coming out on top. But listen, Baylor can give them a run for their money, and it could be a fun game. But in the end, I think the better team will win the whole tournament, and that will be Gonzaga. But before we go to break, I just want to bring up one last point about Gonzaga. So there were a lot of people on Twitter today calling for Gonzaga to move to the Pac-12, and I just wanted to get your thoughts on that because listen, Gonzaga. Listen, they're in a not-so-great conference, and people believe they should be in the Pac-12, and I personally do also. I mean, just imagine Gonzaga in the Pac-12. That conference would be awesome. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that it, it should be considered. I mean, I don't think anybody else is going to win that conference, you know, very often if Gonzaga stays in it. I think they're in the Western, is it the Western Conference? Yeah, I forget I the name of WCC. it. WCC. Yeah, so, the, so I think if, you know, if you keep Gonzaga in there, for the foreseeable future, it's very unlikely that you'll have a winner uh, of that of that tournament other than Gonzaga. And I think if you put them in the Pac-12, it'll definitely be, you know, it'll definitely 
boost their credibility as a program if they can still pull off, you know, a 26-0 season or something close to that. Um, you know, I, I definitely think, though, if they still moved to the Pac-12, that they would be a very good team. I mean, the talent's there. Um, and I don't think anyone's disagreeing with that point. It's just, I think, you know, I think that there's so good of a program now that I think that they deserve to be playing better opponents. You know what I mean? Like, it's almost... Yeah. It's like if Alabama football team played in like, you know, I don't even like the MAC conference with you know Kent State every year. It's like at that point you have all this talent. You know why why are we playing Kent State and teams like that? Why aren't we playing you know the Texas A&Ms, the Floridas? So I think this is, you know, something that should be definitely considered. Yeah, listen, I mean, college sports have a interesting task with Gonzaga because I know fans like. I know a lot of Duke fans who are just like, it's just, it's just not fair. I mean, Gonzaga gets free paths, but I think if Gonzaga plays better opponents, it'd be so much fun to watch. I mean, the program is legit. They'll be legitimate contenders for the next for years to come. But with that, we're going to go to a quick break for the Tuesday crew. So stay locked on WRSU-FM New Brunswick. And welcome back to the Tuesday crew. I am Jared Blades alongside Dylan Allen. And for the first 35 or so minutes of this crew, of this discussion, we got in-depth on March Madness. But now I think we're going to get into some NFL football. So Dylan is a Giants fan and I am a Washington football team fan. So I think we're just going to get into some NFC's predictions and free agency signings for our teams in the NFC East. Yeah, I mean, to start it off with the Giants, they signed a little bit over, I think, this past weekend or last week, I forget, they signed wide receiver Kenny Galladay to a four-year, $72 million deal. Um, you know, some would view that as a, as a bit of an overpay due to his injury history, but for me, you know, this the best receiver on the market um, and it was something that you desperately needed. Uh, I think the Giants did their research on this guy and kind of, you know, figured out the injury stuff and put that aside and, and got the deal done. So I'm happy to have him in New York for four years. They also signed cornerback Adoree Jackson um, yesterday to a three-year, $39 million deal um, to fill in that cornerback two spot that was another hole for the Giants. Um, and, you know, Logan Ryan can go back to playing safety, which is, you know, his normal position, but he had to play cornerback because of that hole that we had. And now with Adoree Jackson, he can fill that hole. Um, that's another big thing for the Giants. They also signed tight end Kyle Rudolph to a two-year deal. Um, you know, he's known as a great pass blocker or just a blocker in general. And, you know, there was news about that today, Jared. I saw yeah, with that the foot. there's some kind of, with the with his foot, he might, be, he might have to get surgery um, with that, which could be bad news for the Giants, and it would, would be a tough break. Um, but nothing's definite yet, but there was rumors about that stuff. Yeah, it um, said so, that they hadn't agreed to a deal yet, so I don't think it's a big deal. I guess if the foot thing is a big deal, I guess they don't agree to the contract. I don't really know. Yeah, right. I think it was a verbal agreement, so nothing, no pen to paper yet. So I think if that is an issue and the Giants want to bail, um, it's not a big deal at all That since the deal is, hasn't been signed yet technically. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, not the end of the world for the Giants in terms of like for their, for their cap space and stuff for the future, but um, would still stink because... You know, he's a good red zone target as well. They signed John Ross III, a former first-round pick in 2017. Uh, he has the fastest 40-yard time in combine history. 
he's coming off of a couple injuries here, so it's a one-year deal for like two and a half mil, um, million dollars that is, and it's kind of like a proven year for him. He, you know, he's trying to get himself an extension somewhere, so he's gonna take the one-year deal with us, and kind of you know show, I guess, the rest of the NFL world what he still has even after those injuries. So you know, another threat there for Daniel Jones on the offensive side of the ball. Um, you know, we get Barkley back and all that stuff. And then for the draft, it's kind of like a toss up, honestly, they could, they have the 11th pick. They could go Jalen Waddle if he's there. I've heard rumors about Devonte Smith. If he's there, they, they could go lineman with Rashawn Slater from Northwestern. Um, even Rousseau from, from Miami, the edge rusher. I've seen Quiddy pay from Michigan, another edge rusher. There's a lot of things that the giants could do here, but you know, I don't think they're going to be taking Kyle Pitts if he's available. Uh, especially if they stick with Kyle Rudolph and the injury thing isn't a big deal at all. Um, but yeah, so far that's what the Giants have done this this offseason. They also extended Leonard Williams to a three-year deal, $63 million. They kept him on the defensive side of the ball. Um, and, you know, I kind of forgot to mention, they, they re-signed Logan Ryan to a three-year deal back in December. They extended him uh, right before Christmas. So the defense right now, Jared, is looking like a top three secondary, in my opinion, and could be easily a top five defense. Uh, as a whole, maybe top eight, top seven, somewhere in that range. They were pretty much top 10 the whole year last year. And so with the addition of Adoree Jackson and keeping Leonard Williams on the line, it's a big deal for the for the, uh, the Giants here. Yeah, um, I think that the Giants... It all weighs down. It all, it, all, it, it all just... At the end of the day, it's how Daniel Jones... Plays, You're 100% honestly. correct. That's, yeah. how, that's how far the team can go. Yeah, listen, I... I mean, it's just... It, it, it all weighs on him. Yeah, listen, I... I do listen, a fellow NFC East fan. I follow the division very closely and listen, like Daniel Jones, I think deserves a little more of a chance, but the giants have made moves that make them a very solid team. And if Daniel Jones, isn't the guy this year, I think you got to move on. I mean, listen, I hundred percent, they drafted him high. So I agree. The guy deserves one more chance. You got him. Kenny Gotti, you got him. John Ross, you got him. The, the perfect combo of speed and size. That's a, listen, you're giving him, you're giving the way I'm looking at it is the Giants are giving Daniel Jones the tools to succeed, and they have a playoff caliber team, but do they have a playoff caliber quarterback? And I think this is going to be the perfect prove it year for Daniel Jones because the pieces are in place. Saquon's coming back. Listen, he's going to do Saquon things. We know that, so that already relieves some pressure off Daniel Jones. Now you've gotten him arguably the best red zone target in Kenny Galladay, who led the NFL in touchdowns two years ago with 11. Granted, last season he was hurt. Sucks. The guy is a monster. But Daniel Jones has pieces, and like you said, the defense. I mean, I thought Adoree Jackson was a little bit of an overpay, but he's a really good player. We'll make the secondary very, very good. Leonard Williams, I mean, we all know how good he is. There's a reason he got that massive contract deal. So listen, if, like you said, if the Giants don't succeed, it's got to be on Daniel Jones. I mean, the pieces are in place for him to succeed. If the Giants don't succeed, it's probably his fault. I mean, I don't see how else it wouldn't be his fault unless, like, the offensive line collapse and Daniel Jones just gets... Like Russell Wilson sacked every play, but I don't foresee that happening. I just think the play of the team is going to rest on Daniel Jones' shoulders. Yeah, and that's another thing too, Jared. I mean, the old offensive line play is a big thing. That's that's the one big hole now for them to fill, um, which is why I wouldn't be surprised if they target Slater with the 11th pick there. I've also seen rumors that they'll they'll pick somebody else at the 11 and get you know the guard out of Ohio State, Wyatt Davis, in the mm-hmm. second round. I've seen stuff like that, but. Um, you know, you're 100% right. Daniel Jones has the tools to succeed now. Management, um, GM, Dave Gettleman, they've done everything that he's they, they they've done everything they, that they can 
to put him in the best situation to show them, you know, how, that he can win football games with a good roster around him. Um, and, you know, to his credit, too, I'd like to point this out for Daniel Jones. Um, you know, no OTAs, no preseason. And the, the Giants hired Jason Garrett as their offensive coordinator. So, you know, he had to learn a whole new playbook without any OTAs or any preseason or any of that. So going into the season, I'm sure he was still pretty, you know, pretty new to that playbook. Um, and I give him, I cut him some slack there, um, you know, kind of having to learn the playbook on the fly. So this year, after having a whole year in offseason uh, and, and even this summer to even learn more in the playbook and get more plays in there, I think this is the year where he finally shows us what he's got. And if he's not good, you know, if he just if he plays like he has been, then it's then it's time to give up on him and and look elsewhere. I think that's the I think that's the move. Yeah, and if he plays bad, listen. If he plays bad, the Giants good chance they'll be bad. Have a high draft pick, draft a quarterback, and you restart the cycle again. But listen, the pieces are put in place where he can succeed. But I like what you said about the OTAs. I mean, that really hurt a lot of young players, especially for a guy like Daniel Jones, who was he was given the keys to the kingdom in New York. I mean, they wanted him to be that guy and. It just made it really tough. Like you said, Jason Garrett coming in, whole new playbook. Daniel Jones had to learn it, probably struggled. I mean, I'm sure all young players struggled last season. It was crazy for them. But if there's full OTAs this year and the Giants are healthy, Saquon is fully healthy, at this point there's just no more excuses for Daniel Jones. The guy's got to come out and play. I am not. I don't know. remember if he was the fifth overall pick or the sixth overall pick, but regardless, he's got to come out and play like that. And the Giants just need to... Hope that he does, or if not, the quarterback carousel begins again in New York. And one more thing to point out, Jared, before before we go on to the to the Washington side of movements and stuff like that, um, you know, you mentioned Dory Jackson, a bit of an overpay. I agree with you, um, but I think it was the right thing to do because I think the main um, the main idea behind the overpay was they didn't want him leaving the building without a contract, without pen to paper. They didn't want him going to Philadelphia the next day and, and having a meeting there. They wanted him signed. They didn't want him meeting with other teams. So I think, you know, a bit of an overpay there, you know, you can take that as a team as long as you get the guy and don't allow him to go visit other teams. I think that's something that they probably looked at and they said, okay, well, we'll throw you a few extra million dollars. That's fine. Um, as long as we get you to sign today. So I'm not a, I'm not a huge, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm all for it. So I'm glad that they were just able to land him. And it was good news for the Giants that they got, you know, one of the best cornerbacks on the board. So happy that they were able to land him. So as we move on to Washington and their and their moves this offseason, I know they got Fitzpatrick, but I don't really know else besides that. So if you could run through that. Yeah, so Washington signed, as we all know, Fitz, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Fitzmagic, to about a 12-13 year contract. And I think it was genius. I mean, listen, with the quarterbacks in the market, Washington wasn't looking for a for the guy for the next decade. They were looking for a stopgap, a bridge quarterback for the 2021-2022 season. And I think Ryan Fitzpatrick is that guy. I mean, he's been better in the late stages of his career, 36 years old, 37, now he's 38. I mean, if he brings some magic to wash to the nation's capital, I mean, they've got talent there that I think that he can succeed in for the one-year contract. Listen, if he doesn't, they if he doesn't, they'll get someone new next year and look for the long-term answer, but I still think they might trade up and draft a quarterback. I'm hoping they trade up and draft a quarterback and let him sit behind Fitzpatrick and learn for the year. Or I do think what a lot of people are saying, a lot of the Washington fan base, that Washington's looking at project quarterbacks like Kellen Mond or a quarterback out of Florida, Kyle Trask. 
to taking later rounds just to maybe develop for the year and see how that works because they're drafting 19, maybe too high for a quarterback. But for the idea of a stopgap bridge quarterback, they're not in the market for the decade, the next decade's quarterback. I think Fitzpatrick was an awesome signing. I think he's going to be good in Washington. And they got him some help. I mean, they got him. They already have Terry McLaurin, who we all know, top 10, top 15 receiver in the NFL. The guy has legit speed. But they got him, in my opinion, one of the best weapons in football in Curtis Samuel to a three-year deal, about $34.5, $35 million. I mean, we saw how good Curtis Samuel was in uh, in Carolina. He had approximately 850 receiving yards, but with a, along with about 220 rushing yards. So he had a 1,000-yard season, and he was playing behind Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore. And now he goes to Washington to be the number two player behind Terry McLaurin, and he can take snaps in the backfield behind Antonio Gibson. So that's another great signing for Washington. I mean, Curtis Samuel last year had one of the highest deep ball catch rates in the NFL, and we all know Fitzpatrick likes to sling it. So they've got deep field, deep downfield threat Terry McLaurin with his speed. And they've got Curtis Sim with his incredible downfield catching ability. So I think Fitzpatrick is going to sling out the year. I think that those two receivers are going to have a great year, great fantasy year. Hopefully Washington has another great year. Hopefully win the division. But listen, the division is good, so we'll see what happens. And then the third big signing they made besides Fitzpatrick and Curtis Samuel was they signed William Jackson III to a three-year, about $42-ish million contract. And William Jackson was one of the top cornerback free agents on the market. I mean, he was almost an all-pro pro bowler his rookie year. His play has declined slightly in his last two years in Cincinnati, but he is a very, very good cornerback, plays super well, great in-man coverage, zone is iffy. But with Washington's D-line, D-front with Chase Young and all those guys, Jonathan Allen, Darren Payne, Montez Sweat, the cornerbacks are going to have to be playing man-to-man, and William Jackson's going to have to play shutdown corner. That's what they got him in here to do, and I think he's going to be a solid shutdown corner for Washington, and I think it just enhances the defense. I mean, no Washington fans saw this signing coming, saw it happening, but listen, I'm glad it happens because Washington gets themselves a legitimate wide, a legitimate cornerback, one who could shadow the other team's best receiver all day, just to make the defense even better. And last season, they had a very good defense, top five in many categories, and adding a cornerback like this just makes them even better. So I think it was genius. And the last move, they made a couple minor moves, like they signed linebacker David Mayo, who was on the Giants, just for depth signing. I mean, a solid depth signing. The guy started 15 games the last two years. I think he could play some solid linebacker spot. And the last significant move they made was they brought back cornerback Danny Johnson, who's been there, kick returner and punt returner for the last couple of years. Not a huge position, but listen, you bring back a guy who knows the system, is like fourth, fifth string cornerback, but your number one kick returner and punt returner. So overall, so far, I think Washington's had a great offseason. What they have left is the um, the classic late-in free agency veteran signings, which I'm sure they'll make a couple because every team makes a couple. But overall... The big guys, Fitzpatrick, Curtis Samuel, and William Jackson the third, I all think were great signings for the football team. Yeah, and I mean, I think another way to look at this too is, you know, they're all great players, and you know, especially I'm talking Jackson the third and 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 Adoree Jackson. Those two signings are pretty significant, um, you know, because of the the opponents that they're going to play this year. I mean, I I doubt they're gonna have James Bradbury line up on Tyreek Hill. When the Giants play, you know, the Chiefs later this year, he's just not fast enough. So now having a guy like a Dory Jackson with elite speed and agility, um, you know, that's something that the Giants could do. Put him there one-on-one, um, 
and get the blitz going against Mahomes. I mean, we all know what happened in that Super Bowl when they were able to get pressure on Mahomes. You know, that line just couldn't block. So that's you know that's one thing to look at too. But more specifically, in division, um, you know, we all know that the receiving core out there in Dallas and, and Dak Prescott. Both both teams in Washington and and the Giants adding those kind of cornerbacks to their secondary. It's big because you have to go up against Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup. Um, you know, and I think there's one more receiver there that I'm forgetting about, but CD, CD Lamb. Yeah, CD Lamb. There you go. So, you know, that's another thing to to look at here when they sign these cornerbacks. It's that's another hole that they had to fill when they go play Dallas twice a year. Um, and you know, when they have to go when the Giants have to go play Washington, you mentioned it they had they had McLaurin and their recent signing with um what's his face from the Panthers? Curtis Samuel. For, I'm forget. Curtis Samuel, and you know that's another group of receivers that teams need to figure out how to cover. So, and you know with the Giants getting Galladay, so it's kind of like they all made these deals revolving around you know what they're gonna have to face in division. So it's you know kind of works out for everybody. Yeah, I mean I couldn't have said it better. I mean the division. Listen, I feel like we all know as a fan of the division, as a fan of the NFC East. Last season was a fluke. I mean, there's no way this division is going to be that bad this year. Seven and nine will not cut it for the division champs. But you'll probably have to be like ten and well now uh, seventeen games in the season. So I guess ten and seven, eleven and six. Crazy that there's seventeen games changes up all the numbers. But listen, I think you're going to have to have double digit wins this year to win the division. I just think the division got better. The division got healthy. The Giants got Saquon back. That's big. The G- Cowboys got Dak back. That's big. This the whole division just had a tough year last year, but it's historically one of the best divisions in football. So I don't see how the division doesn't bounce back in this in the 17 games this season and send a team to the playoffs that is a double digit win team. I just don't see how it doesn't happen. I mean, I feel like it has to happen. There's no way this is going to happen again. Yeah, I think this division is going to be much better this year. Um, and I think, you know, another thing, I'm looking at your roster right now for Washington. You're also going to get Landon Collins back, too. He was on pretty much the IR all last year. Uh-huh. Um, he'll be back. And, you know, what was what might have been the steal of the draft, in many people's opinions, Carmen Curl, your safety. I mean, he had a great year last year, uh, and he's pretty much getting paid nothing because of the rookie deal and you know the fact that he was a late pick. So, you know, that's that's another thing there, you know, being able to draft and have young guys back there and, you know, signing Landon Collins, hopefully for you guys, for your guys' sake, he can play because I know he's on a big deal over he better, there. He but, better you know, play. for my sake, I, I don't care. But <laughs> I wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't matter to me, but I, I, I do remember him signing that big deal with you guys when he left the Giants. Um, but there's, there's definitely a lot to look at here between the two teams. I think it's going to be between the Giants and, and Washington. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong, Dak Prescott is very good quarterback, and that offense, you know, with Zeke and those three receivers, you know, they should have a good year offensively, but Dallas really hasn't made any moves defensively that can persuade me that their defense is really going to change from being one of the worst ever, you know, to maybe a top 15. I think they're still going to be bottom-tier defense. They really haven't made any moves, except for Keanu Neal um, at safety, who was coming off of, I think, an ACL and an Achilles tear last year. Yeah, I mean, I do think it's going to be between Washington and the Giants. They both made the best moves, but listen, I mean, the Cowboys have Dak Prescott, who I think that this is the biggest quarterback discrepancy in a division. Like, you have Dak, and then you go to Jones, Fitzpatrick, Hurts. I mean, like, look at other divisions. Like, the Chiefs, the Chiefs have Mahomes, but then they've got, like, Herbert in that division, Derek Carr. I mean, 
no division has such a drop-off from the number one quarterback like this division does. Which is why I think I'll give Dallas some slack. I think if the defense plays okay, I think they can win the division because Dak is just so much better than the rest. But like you said, I do think if the Dallas defense plays like they did last year, Keanu Neal is not that big of a signing. I mean, he used to be really good. He's a big hard hitter, but this was pre-injury and his leg got really, really badly injured last year. So I don't think he's going to come back and be that good. But with the moves the Giants and Washington made, I think that I think that they'll both be fighting for the division. And I also don't think this is going to be a division where the winner is like 15-2 and two or 14-3. and three. Like I said before, I think this is like a, you need 10 wins or 11 teams to, 11 wins to win the division. And honestly, if they both have like 10-11 wins, I would not be surprised if one is a wildcard team as well. They're both legitimately good teams who had legitimately good offenses. And I wouldn't be shocked if, hopefully, I mean, you never know, we could see if it's still the seven teams in the playoffs. I would not be shocked with two NFC East teams in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, I definitely can see, you know, the Giants and Washington in there for sure. Um, and, you know, another thing to look at, too, is, I mean, you could cut Dallas some slack and all that stuff. And, you know, to a certain degree, I, I agree. But, you know, another factor for me is how is that going to respond off that injury? I mean, it was pretty significant. And I don't know... I mean, I, I think we will, but I don't know for sure if we're going to get the same Dak Prescott that we had, you know, that we got at the beginning of the year last year. You know, th- there's definitely some some setbacks that can come with that injury. Um, so, I mean, I listen, the like I already said, the big thing for me was just Dallas hasn't made any moves defensively for me um, to prove that they can really, you know, keep a lid on teams like the Giants that they should be beating, you know, with, with Daniel Jones. You talk about the, the QB difference there i mean they gave up 34 points to daniel jones and the giants offense week five last year Uh and won by the skin of their teeth and i know you know prescott got hurt in that game but still you know giving up 49 points to the browns the week before 38 to the seahawks the week before that and then 39 to the falcons which a game they should have lost if the falcons you know weren't so good at blowing leads but you know the, the defense's performance last year i don't think it'll be as bad because i don't know if you can repeat that bad of a performance, their defense definitely played better towards the tail end of the season, but I just don't think it'll be good enough to kind of compete with what giant what the Giants in Washington have built. Yeah, I mean, they had a historically bad defensive year. I mean, listen, they can only go up from there. So, listen, if they do, I think they'll be a decent team. But going back to what you said with Dak coming back from the injury, I think you're right. Listen, I don't know how I was going to bounce back, but for the last, for since the season ended, I honestly thought that Joe Burrow was a lock to win comeback player of the year just because I think the Bengals got a lot better, and I think that Joe Burrow is going to come back from his injury and play really well. But listen, I do think Dak is going to come back, and I think he can play very well. And I wouldn't be surprised if Dak wins comeback player of the year either because, listen, I do think that since a lot of quarter, listen, like, some people can make the argument, like, Saquon could come back, be awesome, win comeback player of the year. But I think if Dak Prescott comes back, like the Dak Prescott of old, I think he's going to win comeback player of the year and put the Dallas Cowboys in a solid spot if the defense doesn't collapse. Yeah, I mean, I am definitely think that they can get it done offensively. I just think that their defense just is not good enough to hold teams. And, I mean... You know, if Daniel Jones with Kenny Gallett, I mean, like, who's their best cornerback, right? I'm I'm trying to look I, at their I can't, roster I can't right even now. Name it, I have no idea. Yeah, I'm looking right now. Their 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 best cornerback, I believe, is Trevon Diggs. Oh, he's all right. That's the um, 
like cousin. Uh, and he's all right, but I mean, I mean, but you're gonna have him line up against Kenny Galladay, Terry McLaurin. Yeah, I mean, right. I just don't like that matchup at all. And I think that's pretty, pretty bad for them there. Um, you know, their safeties aren't too great either. Xavier Woods, I think he's a free agent right now. He's not even on their roster. Keanu Neal, like I said, but he's coming off an Achilles tear. I, I'm just, I don't see enough move, uh, enough movement from them in this free agency that would, that would just change my mind about their defense. So that's why I think it's going to be between Washington and, and the Giants. Yeah, listen, hopefully our teams are fighting for that first place in the NFC East, the Washington football team and the New York Giants. But with that, this is the end of the Tuesday crew. I am Jared Bladis alongside Dylan Allen. And keep it locked for further programming. This is WRSU-FM New Brunswick.